Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hada! Your Grace! I know that you want to listen to Binge Mode, but Binge Mode has adult content and... Good. You should head to bed. I'm not tired! And now, Binge Mode. What he saw beyond the wall, it's coming for all of us. When did you learn to read? Mavos taught me before he died so I could be of better service to you. This war of five kings means nothing. The true war lies to the north, my king. Death marches on the wall. Only you can stop him. Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode. Yeah! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Misa, Misa. Joining me today, now that he's finished sending the most powerful man in Westeros to bed without his supper, it's Ringer staff writer, and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hi. Jason? Yeah. The disgraced daughter and the demon monkey. Oh, what a pair. We're perfect for each other. And that's why we are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones, deep diving one episode at a time. Guys, we are about to hit the halfway mark. This is a beautiful moment. Spoiler warning, as usual, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this season and beyond. So grab a slice of the rat cook's pie because it's time to break down season three finale. Misha. Misha, Misha. Jason, we learned a lot in this episode. We did. Including that shift is the vulgar (laughs) word for dung. That's right. Good old Sansa. What else? What else did we learn? Well, let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in episode 10 here by taking a quick trip down our own King's Road. At the Twins, the Red Mm. Wedding Massacre continues. The Hound managed to slip away with the unconscious Arya by carrying a fray banner. The next day, Walder is celebrating his near-total victory. I say near because the Blackfish, one of the most capable men in the whole realm, managed to slip away. Walder's not worried about it. Lord Bolton is a bit concerned about the Blackfish, and he tells Walder about what went down at Winterfell with his bastard son, Ramsay. In King's Landing, Tyrion and Sansa are taking the air, enjoying a pleasant stroll, when uh, suddenly, word of the Red Wedding reaches King's Landing. Tyrion is summoned to a small council meeting where he finds Joffrey over the moon and saying that he wants to serve Rob's head to Sansa at his wedding feast. Tywin sends the king to his room. I'm not tired! (laughs) I'm not (laughs) I'm going to serve. True. I'm going to serve her. Rob Stark's head. He's just joking. No, I'm not. <laughs> Tywin is chatting with Tyrion, and Tyrion gets him to admit to his role in the Red Wedding. Tywin has laid out a new order. Frey is in charge in the Riverlands. Roose Bolton, Warden of the North, until, of course, eventually, and this is key to Tywin's plan. Tyrion and Sansa have a kid. Takes up the mantle in the North. Meanwhile, Varys, 
trying to pull a little move here, a little puppet mastery, attempts to bribe Shay into leaving King's Landing, basically so that Tyrion can focus. She refuses, throws the diamonds at his feet, says that she will not leave unless Tyrion directly asks her to. Uh, and then later, finally, at long last, Brienne and Jamie arrive at King's Landing, and we get the moment between Cersei and Jamie that we've been waiting for. At the Night Fort, ooh, the Night Fort, Bran, Hodor, and the twins set up camp for the night. Bran tells the story of the rat cook. We'll get into that later. Bran and the twins meet Sam and Gilly, who just came up from under the wall into the cistern of the Night Fort. Uh, Sam tells Bran and them about the White Walkers, and Bran is basically like, great, that's the way I'm going. Sam, ever the giving person, gives uh, the twins some dragon glass for the road. You're going to need that, guys. Another fort, the Dread Fort. Ramsey, so many forts. Ramsey is, oh, man, he is eating a large, well-cooked pork sausage, very phallic in nature. sausage. Waving it around. In front of Theon, who uh, has no cock, has no pork sausage of his own anymore. And Theon is a shell of a person at this point. He is begging for death. Ramsay, of course, refuses and points out, you're not, you're not a lord. You're a stinking sack of meat. A beautiful moment for book readers. This is when we see Theon become reek. Yeah. Word Pike, special delivery. Balon um. receives a package from Ramsay. What is it? It's a letter demanding that all Ironborn vacate the North under pain of flaying and death. Also, beyond shriveled up cock. <laughs> Balon says, wait a second, hold on. I fought for the North. I don't want to leave. Yara's like, uh, they're going to kill your son. Forget it. I'm going. I'm going to rescue him. On the road, the Hound and Arya, traveling companions once again. Arya obviously despondent over what happened at the twins, they come across a group of Frey soldiers just sharing a fire, sharing a chat. What are they chatting about? Uh, stitching Grey Wind's head to Rob's uh, body. Sad. Not what Arya wants to hear, obviously. She has like a nice little, oh, can I share your fire moment? And then promptly stabs the dude in the neck, uses her coin from Jockin to, to drop it, get attention. And uh, the hound is pretty much like not it's not like, that's a bad thing, don't do it. He's just like, a little heads up next yeah. time. Also, where did you get that knife? And she's like, from you, dude. <laughs> In the north, Egret tracks down John as he's sipping from a puddle. He's like, you're not going to hurt me, and gets on his horse, and then she shoots him in the ass and back with arrows. <laughs> um, Sam and Gilly arrive at Castle Black, and they bring the tidings of the White Walkers. Tells, Sam tells Maester Eamon about it. Eamon has Sam send all the ravens to all the lands of the realm, announcing the news. The White Walkers are back. Sometime later, John arrives at Castle Black, grievously injured with several arrows in his ass. In Dragonstone, Davos visits Gendry in the dungeons, and they're bonding, you know, over their humble beginnings. Just, just two humble dudes from Flea Bottom. Your hand of the king, and I fucked an immortal witch. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> later, Davos receives and reads the message that Sam sent from Castle Black. We need help. Yeah. There's a lot going on up here. Walkers, wildlings amassing, threats against the wall, threats against the realm. Send help. Uh, in a weird way, this is help for Davos because he has been summoned to account for freeing Gendry, which he decides to do to protect him from Melisandre's intended sacrifice. And only 
his knowledge of this impending battle yep. in the snow and weirdly Melisandre's word in his favor about the role that he has to play in this war to come saves Davos. A decision has been made. Stannis and co. will secure what they need to secure and head north. In Yunkai, Danny has conquered the city. Waiting outside the gates, she wants to know, I wonder what the slaves will do that I've freed. The gates open and the freedmen of Yunkai swarm to her, calling her Misa, Misa, the word for mother. Jason. Yeah. Danny remarks near the end of the episode that people learn to love their chains. That's right. But before they succumb, they strive. They want to break free. They want to get home. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of the season three finale is homecoming. Reunions, separations, homes of the conventional or unconventional variety. This episode has it all, and a lot of it comes to the fore in exchanges between the Lannisters. The Lannisters. Joff could not be happier that the Starks are gone. Rob Stark is dead. This dog's head (laughs) sewn to his body. Uh, I love that Tyrion, when he enters the small council chamber, he sees Joffrey glowing, and he says, killed a few puppies today? It's like, and kind of. Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for, for Lancers, it's not so much a homecoming as it is a thwarting of someone else's homecoming, um, thus cementing in their minds their security, stability of their current homes, Cashlyoth, the Red Keep, the realm in general. But of course, things aren't so stable on the home front. Joth wants to serve Rob's head to Sansa, his aunt by marriage, <laughs> as uh, several people have reminded him. Tyrion does not want this because he's a good human being. Several other people, to be fair, in the room also are like, don't do this, dude. Um, A few iconic exchanges follow. Tyrion says, she's not, meaning Sansa, Sansa is not yours to torment anymore. Everyone is mine to torment. You'd be well to remember that, you little monster. Oh, monster, Tyrion says. Perhaps you should speak to me more softly then. Monsters are dangerous and just now... Kings are dying like flies. A hush falls over the small council Great. chamber. Clearly a threat to the king's person, an act of treason. And he can't, he can't blame intoxication yes. like he could when he threatened to sever Joffrey's cock. Punishable by death, which Joffrey would love to do. I am the king. I will punish you. Tywin, eager for the smackdown. Any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. I'll make sure you understand that when I've won your war for you, and then, you know, it's funny, Joffrey, how little Joffrey really understands about how things work and about how he got there. He says, my father won the real war. He means King Robert, who's not his father. <laughs> he killed Prince Rhaegar. He took the crown while you hid under Casterly Rock. Whoa, the, pregnant. The deepest and, silence oh that has God. ever Everybody fallen. Everybody just waiting to see what will happen here. And then, of course, Tywin is just like, go to your room. <laughs> Go the fuck to sleep. Go. Westeros edition. I'm not tired. <laughs> and Tywin's like, by the way, give him, uh, you know, some essence of nightshade, anything. Just get this kid out of my sight. Um, Tywin keeps Tyrion behind because he wants to talk to him about, you know, he wants to, there's not, here's the interesting thing about this moment. There's not too many people that Tywin can gloat to, right. you know? He hates Tyrion. But he also kind of grudgingly respects his acumen. Right. This is the one guy who he can say, yeah, I did the red one. Right. <laughs> uh, I did it. Um, and Tyrion sees through it immediately. You know, he's, he says, you know, the North is 
never going to get this number one. And also, you know, this is absolutely terrible. You know, Tywin's like, you disapprove. Oh, you disapprove. And he, by the way, Tywin loves that he disapproves because he wants to, he <laughs> wants to draw this out. I'm all for cheating, Tyrion says. This is war, but to slaughter them at a wedding. <laughs> and then Tywin, you know, lays out the calculus behind his decision. Explain to me why it's more noble to kill 10,000 men at a battle than a dozen at a dinner. And Tyrion's like, you know, so you did this to save lives? No, he didn't do it to save lives. He doesn't lives. give a he shit. He doesn't give a shit. He wants to end the war, but he also wants to kind of lay out his power play. He and wants- Rob was beating him on the field. That's right. That's the other thing. And maybe that wouldn't have continued after the Karstarks had abandoned Rob. But Tywin had to bring this back to yep. the are- arena that suited his That's skills. Right. Right? right. That's exactly right. And that right. is manipulation yeah. and craftsmanship. Right. And that is as we know, yeah. not the Stark skill set at all. One of the things you just mentioned about uh, uh, bringing up that the Northerners will never forget, yeah. fascinating exchange, particularly because it is one of the one of the themes of season three, the subtler themes of season three, Tywin specific plot lines is he is simultaneously achieving something incredible. Right. Pulling this off is marvelous. Yes. And he's showing us time and time again that he doesn't actually have the complete grasp of the situation that we want to give him credit for having. So when he says, when Tyrion says, the Northerners will never forget, and Tywin responds, good, let them remember what happens when they march in the South, he's basically viewing this as welcome news. This is a lesson for our foes. They won't make this a mistake again. But what do we know? We know that the North remembers becomes not only one of the slogans for the show, but the rallying cry for an entire region right. of the realm. And sure, part of the genius of this was not having his face plastered on the Who Done It poster, right? right? There, there are other fall right. guys with Bolton and Frey, but Tyrion's not the only one savvy enough to figure this out. Yeah, the Freys right? aren't that sharp. <laughs> exactly. And Tywin is ready to move forward. Right. right. Tyrion and, and other people are like still focused on, understandably, the kind of horrors of, of the past. And Tywin just wants Tyrion to make a baby. Yeah. Secure it. Lock it down. We won. We had this. Right. We, we move forward. Tywin feeling, Tywin feeling the pressure of the end of his life. He's mentioned this several times. I'm old. I'm not going to. This is my last war. Right. He's the grandpa who's like, I just want to see you yeah, get was, married. Yeah, yeah. Mal, when are you going to get married? On, give me Jason, a grandkid. I want to see a grandchild who will rule the North. <laughs> <laughs> you never call. Yeah. Give me a grandkid. And, you know, he is revealing the true hideous nature of his character yeah. in discussing this. He says to Tyrion, you know, because Tyrion rightly says, well, what do you expect her to Right. Open her legs for me now that we murdered her entire family? Like, bit of a buzzkill, yeah. dead. And Tywin says, one way or another, you will get that girl pregnant. He's advocating for, for sure. rape, yeah. if, if necessary, which, you know, thankfully Tyrion is horrified by this suggestion, as he should be. And Tywin never misses an opportunity to launch into a legacy speech, right? So he yeah. says, shall I explain to you in one easy lesson how the world works? You small words. Right. I'm not <laughs> as bright as you. And he makes... A family speech. The house that puts family first will always defeat the house that puts the whims and wishes of its sons and daughters first. A good man does everything in his power to better his family's position, regardless of his own selfish desires. Does that amuse you? Because Tyrion is smirking, right? And he says, no, it's a very good lesson. Only it's easy for you to preach utter devotion to family when you're making all the decisions. And Tywin is like offended by this, right? He says, easy is it? 
When have you ever done something that wasn't in your interest but solely for the benefit of the family? The day that you were born, I wanted to carry you into the sea and let the waves wash you away. Instead, I let you live. And I brought you up as my son because you're a Lannister. Harsh, harsh shit. Hard for Tyrion or anyone to feel a sense of home, a sense of acceptance and belonging after hearing something like that. Sometimes it's uh, breakups that need to happen, not just homecomings. Varys sees in Tyrion the hope of the realm. He's got the right last name. He's capable. He's smart. When he makes decisions, he makes the right ones. He plans. He's got one problem, and that's he's got this Lady Shay, who is his weakness, who could get him killed, who may end up getting killed herself, and so Varys wants her to leave. When he speaks to Shay, he makes sure to, you know, try and draw the commonalities between them. Listen, we both came from nothing. He says, you know, we break bread with them. That doesn't make us family. You know, we're both outsiders, essentially. You know, we're not noble-born. We're from the East. Right. We came from nothing. You know, we've learned their language, he says, but we'll never be their countrymen. And she is just not about to have it, you know. And then Cersei has some other homemaking advice for Tyrion. This is like a, one of another great Tyrion-Cersei scene. Cersei has a lot of truth to tell about family life. She says of her drinking, an unhappy wife is a wine merchant's best friend. And Cersei would know about this. And Tyrion says, you know, she doesn't deserve this. Sansa, he means, his future wife. Cersei says, deserve? Be careful with that. It's hard to figure out who deserves what. You know, Cersei is, um, has never really gotten over her forced marriage to Robert and how it turned out. Right. She is injured by this down to the soul you know she feels that you know i'm capable i'm I'm as i'm as smart and as ruthless as any man but here i am sold off like a cow essentially um and it's uh those feelings have all surfaced again right because of the loloris plot that exactly so so when Tyrion is like oh sansa this is tough for her you know cersei's like yeah tough Exactly. It is tough. Look, I've done this. I'm going to have to do this for a second time now. And and she says, you want to make things better for Sansa? Give her a child so she can have some happiness in her life. Wow. It's a reminder that no matter who you are in this world, the most powerful or the least powerful person, you're ultimately facing the same struggles and dilemmas just from a slightly different perspective, right? And One of the struggles is that Cersei's like one of her few tethers to happiness other than her children is Jamie. And so it's pretty agonizing to see her react to his homecoming, right? He. Yeah, very ambiguous. Yes. Anticlimactic. You're not sure. You just expect them to like leap into each other's arms, right? She's like, oh. Right. He's, He's made his way into the gates. Right. Nobody knows who he is. He looks, He's like, he looks like shit. <laughs> they call him a, like a merchant yeah. passes. Move him. aside, country boy. <laughs> country boy. Imagine somebody calling Jamie Lannister yeah. country boy to his face. And then, you know, we cut to Cersei's chambers and she's like, shells. She's like, yes. shells. <laughs> and everyone has a hobby. And, you know, the door is open and it's yeah. Jamie and he just whispers her name, Cersei. And Right away, they both just look at his hand. Yeah. And it's like, this is the thing that he has been fighting for, to get back home, to get yeah. back to her. Cersei is home to Jamie. It doesn't, like, why does he, you know, he'll come in a later season to forsake the offer of Casterly Rock, his birthright, because being in King's Landing means being with Cersei, and that's the only thing that matters to, to, to him. And in theory, to this point, this the reverse has also been true, where... 
there was a brief moment where she loved the idea right. of Robert and was open to that. And right. that faded quickly because of Liana and Robert's complete lack of interest in Cersei. And so it was Jamie and it was always Jamie. And Jamie is the father of her children. And she she talks about him. We're, we're, we've always been together. We came into this yeah. world together. We belong together. And you don't feel that in this moment when they're reunited. You feel a divide, like yep. a force field that's between them that neither of them can bridge. For House Frey and House Bolton, the Red Wedding was the culmination of many centuries of plotting and planning and wanting. Um, they've arrived, in a sense, at a at the home of their dreams. Power. That scene in Walder's Hall is, is hard to watch because they could not gloat any harder. The phrase in general, they're a young house, only 600 years or so. That's really young in, in the scale of Westeros. And all they've wanted is the same kind of respect that these older, greater houses want in the realm. And Frey has, feels like, oh, I've got that now. He says, the late Walder Frey, they called me because of his late arrival at the Battle of the Trident. Old Tully called me because I didn't get my men to the Trident in time for battle. He thought he was witty. Look at us now, Tully. You're dead. Your daughter's dead. Your grandson's dead. Your son spends his wedding night in a cell, and I'm Lord of Riverrun. You know, he's and he's appealing to this instinct in Bolton. He wants Bolton. He's kind of unnerved, it seems, a little bit that Bolton is not celebrating a little harder. And you, right, Warden in the North, no more Starks to bow and scrape to. And he's like, you know, are you gonna you move in Winterfell? <laughs> and Bolton's like, no, nah, maybe. In a little while, we'll see. I don't know. You know, it's like, and then he draws at him, you know, wants him to talk about Rob, you know, like he says, you know, he ignored my advice at every turn. If he'd been a trifle less arrogant. And this is unfortunately true of Rob, who, to be fair, was, you know, a teenage king who got some early success <laughs> and then didn't really know how to deal with it. And then Walder says, calling himself the young wolf. <laughs> How's that for pomposity? Well, here's to the young wolf. Woo! Oh. <laughs> has that great forever young. <laughs> so <laughs> that creepy. is just absolutely. And brutal. like as they're having this really just horrendous, yeah, disgusting exchange. There's just the woman cleaning, yeah, up cleaning the blood, blood. <laughs> the viscera, the intestines, and the cranial fluid uh. off the off the floor. You know, for them, it's not just about victory. This is what these two houses have been trying to do for many, many, many years. It's about control of a region. It's about ownership of a homeland. It's about like a homeland of their own. Theon. No. No homecoming for Theon, No, guys. No, a lot he, of things. <laughs> he isn't really Theon anymore, right? He's Reek. He yeah. is a sack of stinking meat. Ramsay is his sausage-willing master. And... <laughs> the thing that's so agonizing about this episode is that even if that were not the case, it is now clear to us that Theon would not have a home waiting for him with his yeah, father, with Balon, right? So yep. when Ramsay says, sends the, the box and the letter over to the Iron Islands, you know, in the box you'll find a special gift, Theon's yeah. favorite toy. He cried when I took it away from him. Balon has no sympathy. He just <laughs> basically right. says... Theon disobeyed my orders. The boy's a fool. He cannot further the Greyjoy line. I will not give up the lands that I have seized, the strongholds I have taken. Get this away from me. Right. And Yara is, Yara's always been to this point, Team Balon over Team Theon, but she right. is horrified by right. this, right? Well, he's your son. You know, he's your blood, right? And he, she, he says, son? He's not a man anymore. Ah, uh, the utilitarian argument. 
You can't have children right. anymore. If you can't further the line, yeah. what's the what's point? the point? This is interesting, of course, because Balon is so accepting of Yara's role and so open-minded about allowing her to act in a traditional male capacity, be a leader, be a fighter, be a captain, to not even consider that Theon could operate in a similar capacity. You know, yeah. Yara, right? Like, <laughs> Yara doesn't have a penis either. So, right. like, why does he not? He can't, right. like, he just can't open his mind beyond, beyond the most basic thinking, even though he has before, which is really strange. This is, of course, you know, just partially tied up in his very complicated feelings about Theon and what Theon represents to him. Right. His greatest failure. Right. Right? Why, why does he not trust Theon? Because Theon grew up with the Starks. Why did Theon grow up with the Starks? Because Balon's rebellion failed, and yeah. that was the price he had to pay. Failure is yeah. now just out of the picture. Yara wants to bring him back into the picture, right? She says— I have made mine, right? Balon says, I've made my decision. And I have made mine. And she makes this just this- Incredible speech. This amazing- Pumping music. Locker room speech. She's getting the team ready to go. I'm going to pick the fastest ship in our fleet. I'm going to choose the 50 best killers on the Iron Islands. I'm going to sail up the narrow sea all the way to the weeping water. I'm going to march on the dread fort. I'm going to find my little brother. And I'm going to bring him home. Oh, run away. Look out for the dogs. Spoiler. Sorry, guys. Uh, speaking of pups. How about, oh. How about, how about Bran? How about Bran Muffin? Let's check in on him. You know, Sam, when he meets uh, Bran and the twins and Hodor, he very fairly is doesn't understand why Bran wants to go north of the wall. Your brother is at Castle Black. Right. The north is infested with White Walkers. North of the wall, excuse me. Why in the world would I? would you want to? And then Bran says, I don't want to. I have to. It's it's interesting how quickly Bran has become absolutely a true believer in his own destiny. Um, and then they have this very chilling exchange from Jojen and says, because, you know, Sam's saying, you know, they're, they're there. The White Walkers are there. I just came from there. It's extremely dangerous. They chased me all the way to the wall. Like, you don't want to go there. It's not safe. And Jojen says, there's nowhere safe anymore. And then, you know, Sam says, what I know is what I saw. If you saw it too, you'd run the other way. And Jojen's like, you saw the army of the dead? Yeah. <laughs> and Jojen's like, listen, the, Night Wa- the Night's Watch can't stop them. The kings of Westeros and all their armies can't stop them. But you're going to stop them, says Bran. Please, Sam, I have to go north. I have to. Oh, okay, well. And then he tells them about how he's the first guy to kill a White Walker, which, you know, that I would lead with that, by the way. <laughs> Everyone I met, if I killed a White Walker, hey, what's your name? Uh, by the way, I just killed a White Walker. I love how- An hour ago, un- right over there. <laughs> Unnatural and uncomfortable bragging is for Sam. It's like, well, yeah. I suppose someone had to be uh, first. Really wasn't that big a deal, you know. He had his back turned on me, and I stabbed him in the back. Um, Sam arrives back at Castle Black with Gilly, and uh, of course, the, the arrival of a woman in Castle Black with a child causes quite a stir. Uh, shouts to Sam for becoming the namesake of a child. <laughs> He's a little shocked by this. Sam makes his uh, the realms of men speech, you know, about the White Walkers, about what's coming. And who comes home? Jon Snow. Little Johnny. John clinging to the back of a horse grievously. It's a great moment. And there's like just the the moment for John before he gets there when when Eager pummels him with the three arrows. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's agony. You know, he says, "You know, I didn't have a choice. You always knew who I was, what I am. I have to go home now, right? Homecoming. I have to go home now. I know you won't hurt me." And she says, "You know nothing, John Snow." smiles at her and he says I do know some things I know I love you I know you love me I have to go home now 
it's been a real struggle for John, a struggle yeah. of identity and of conviction. And he is drawn to his North Star now, Castle Black, the Night's Watch. The people he swore an oath to, the idea of home is is for him now honoring that oath and attempting to protect those people. And there is a protective instinct kicking in for Davos as well yeah. at Dragonstone because he visits Gendry in the dungeons. And, you know, after they they bond, the bonding only cements what he already was feeling, right. which is you can't kill the innocent yeah. kid. He didn't do anything. This is some fucked up shit, right? And he says to to Mel and Stannis, I don't know if Rob Stark died because of the Red Woman sorcery or because at war men die yeah. all the time. Great point, by the way. Solid, solid observation. But I do know that uniting the Seven Kingdoms with blood magic is wrong. It is evil. And you are not an evil man, right? This is basically the same thing that Tywin says to Tyrion previously what is the life of one bastard boy against a kingdom, right? What's slaughtering people at a wedding against losing thousands and thousands in battle? The math, the numbers game. When you're using that kind of an argument to attempt to shroud a moral failing, you've already lost or compromised something about yourself. And Davos is tuned in enough to human nature to see that, to recognize it. And as much as he is loyal to Stannis, he's also loyal to the idea that he is supposed to be a counselor who provides opinion and his honest opinion and advice. And so he, he responds by saying everything, right? It's only really home in Davos's mind if it's not sullied by – if they don't pollute right. their cause and their homeland by slaughtering an innocent boy, right? And so what does Davos do? He frees Gendry. And Melisandre – of all people, is the one who comes to Davos's aid because Davos has one card left to play here before he is executed. And it is, right. got this letter from Sam. You might want to hear this. Melisandre, this is a bit of a revelation for her. Right. This moment, hearing this, something clicks. You can see it. Oh, maybe I had some of this wrong. Right. Maybe it's this thing, right? And for Stannis, oh, the battle in the snow. Right, the battle what did he see in the flames? The battle in the snow. A lot of things are coming together here for these people. So Melisandre says, this war of five kings means nothing. The true war lies to the north, my king. Death marches on the wall. Only you can stop it. Now, this is like very funny. Almost as funny as Stannis recently saying, I never asked to be king. Yep. Melisandre saying this war of five kings means nothing. Like, <coughs> Guys, what have you been doing right. <laughs> the last two seasons? It's all, literally all you've been talking <laughs> about. Really quick change of heart there. But, you know, the irony of Melisandre's position here is not lost on Stannis. He actually laughs. We don't hear laughter a lot from Stannis, but he kind of chuckles. He says, you see, Sir Davos, you've been saved by that fire god you like to mock. You're in his army now. Not a comfortable home for Davos. Not the homecoming Davos wants. Being saved by Melisandre. Being brought into this web of relores. But it's better than death. Yep. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. Daenerys Targaryen is the spiritual home now for all the people who she has freed from bondage. She's waiting outside the gates of Yunkai. There's, she doesn't know what's going to happen. The city has been conquered, but it's still full of hundreds of thousands of slaves. But they haven't come out. And Baron is like, they will come to Rhys when they're ready. She says, perhaps they don't want to be conquered. She says her line about you know people getting used to chains. Um, and Jorah says, you know, you didn't conquer them. You liberated them. Um, 
shades of real world conflicts. And Dan, and that's when Daenerys says, you know, people learn to love their chains. And then the gate opens and all the slaves pour out and she makes her speech about, you know, you don't owe me your freedom. I can't give that to you. It belongs to you and you alone. If you want it back, you must take it. They begin shouting, Misa, Misa, me, reaching out to her. Daenerys asks Miss Sandy, you know, what does it mean? She says, old, old Giscari, Khaleesi, it means mother. You know, they are home. She is their home. And she says, she won't hurt them, sends the dragons off to fly so, not, so as not to scare them. And then they lift her up in the greatest mosh pit Essos <laughs> has ever seen. And there's that moment when uh, when Jorah and Barristan, there's this prideful moment at first when they're watching her. And then it's like, oh, sh- yeah, shit. Hands on the sword hilt. And it kind of presages the things to come, which is, uh, you know, we're in power now and people love her. But we've got a wolf by the ears also. How do we square this adulation that people feel towards her? with the responsibilities of ruling. That's for next season, but it, it's a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Jason. Yeah. Jojen mentions that he likes horrible stories. He does. That's why he's weird. So do we, right? I Especially when those stories involve rats and pies and inadvertent cannibalism and haunted castles and the wrath of the gods. The good stuff. So in light of Sam and Bran's fortuitous meeting at the Night Fort, the haunting tale that Bran shared about the rat cook the recent violation of guest rights in this story and the ever-present looming importance of the wall as both barrier and portal. Let's assemble the conclave. Let's do it. Let's head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about the Night Fort. The Night Fort. It's the largest and oldest of the 19 Night's Watch castles along the wall. As such, the castle has a rich and really particularly strange and scary history. Much of that as dark as the name suggests. The earliest known chronicles from the castle's archives from just after the Long Night described the war for Sea Dragon Point, which pitted the Stark King of Winter against an alliance between the Warg King, someone called the Warg King. I think we can, we can imagine what that must have been like. And the Children of the Forest. Um, many of Westeros' scarier folktales feature the Night Fort as a setting and also like a kind of character. Massacres have been committed there, acts of cannibalism, evil atrocities beyond reckoning, crimes so heinous that their memory echoes throughout the centuries. So let's gather around the cistern and explore some of those stories. Um, probably the most famous one. Back in the day, 13th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch used the Night Fort as his base of operations. One day, standing at the top of the wall, he sees this pale woman with beautiful, ghostly, glowing blue eyes. What does that mean? Hmm. Um, he was a fearless warrior, so he goes to her, falls in love with her, makes love to her, brings her back to the Night Fort, declares himself king and her as queen, and they bind the, the brothers of the Night's Watch to them in some kind of weird, dark sorcery. And they ruled this kind of bizarre, evil kingdom centered around the Night Fort for 13 years before an alliance of the Stark King and the then King Beyond the Wall brought them down. Um, after the victory over the Night's King, it was discovered they had been making sacrifices to the, to the White Walkers. Not a surprise, I guess. Um, and subsequently, all records pertaining to the 13th Lord Commander were purged. Many, and I count myself among them, believe he was a Stark because who would have the power to purge the records? King of the North. Does this have anything to do with the current Night's King? Unclear at this at this point. The show version of the Night's King, that is. Another cozy campfire story. Mad Axe. <laughs> Mad Axe basically was an axe murderer. That's our nickname for our producer, Zach Mack, yeah. after he cuts down our yeah. episodes. Mad Axe Zach! Mad Axe! Mad Axe Mack! Mad Axe was a brother of the Night's Watch who 
just one night went nuts, took off his boots so no one would hear him, and crept around hacking his brothers to death. And the only sound you could hear as he crept the halls with murderous intent was the dripping of the blood off his beard and his axe. <laughs> These are the kind of stories people tell Gross. about the Night Fort guys. Then there's the 79 Sentinels, <laughs> group of Night's Watch deserters. They fled their posts, fled south. When they got to the Rills, which was the seat of Lord Risewell, they were stopped, apprehended by the Lord himself. He discovered that among these 79 deserters was his son. He did his duty, nonetheless, brought him back to the wall, carved 79 holes in the wall, dropped him in there, covered up the holes, froze him inside, and now their watch will never end, essentially. And then when Lord Risewell uh, was on his own deathbed, he had himself carried to the wall, cut his own hole right next to his son, dropped himself in. And then, of course, there's Rat Cook. Brand tells the story of the rat cook a little bit. Legend has it that this humble cook of the Knight's Fort, um, as recompense for some unknown wrong done to him by an Andal king, variously identified as either a Lannister king of Castle Rock or an Oswell of the Vale, is served a pie containing the savory, delicious, juicy meats of his son. <laughs> Shades of uh, the Manderleys, which book readers will recognize. Great moment. The pie was so delicious, apparently. King asked for seconds, and the gods cursed the cook, um, who, again, according to legends, lurks among the ruins of the night fort to this day in the form of a giant rat, one would imagine, with like a white chef's hat <laughs> and, an apron, <laughs> and an apron on. And there's Danny Flint, who we believe was a historical person. She was a young woman who dressed as a boy to join the Night's Watch, and her brothers uh, raped and murdered her. Wonderful. And more recently, just 600 years ago, the commander of the Night's Fort took his garrison to war against the Night's Watch, against the Snow Gate, now called the uh, the Queen's Gate, um, which was the castle just next door, just to the east of them for reasons that remain unclear. I don't know why you'd uh, go to war against your, your brothers, but that happened. Uh, as the watch declined, maintenance of the castle became prohibitive. Good Queen Alessane Targaryen, who was a great friend to the watch, paid for construction of a new, more modestly sized castle, Deep Lake, between the Night's Fort and Snow Gate. The Night's Fort was abandoned, the first of the watches castle to be left on man and its remaining garrisons were assigned to Deep Lake. That might have been my favorite Citadel yet. That was great. Thank you. Love that. Thank All you. right. Maester, a great gift requires a great sacrifice. So sure. let's head to the Sept. Let's bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations and hindsight nuggets from this episode. Let's do a lightning round style. When we see Grey Wind's head on Rob's body. Ah, uh, brutal. Danny's book two vision. She saw that in the House of the Undying. It's very sad. Number two. When Tyrion and Sansa and Shay are taking a walk. Tyrion, you know, people are laughing at him. And he says, I have a list. A list of people you mean to kill? For laughing at me? <laughs> what would Arya think of these idiots? And what oh would... God. Sansa make of Arya because that would is not, what Arya's list is. Would not recognize it. Wait, you've killed people? What? He's making a list? Yes, I've murdered uh, three people at this point. Um, sad moment at the Night Fort. Eerie moment, really. Bran says, there are lots of stories about this place. Horrible stories. Which he proceeds to tell. Jojen says, I've always liked horrible stories. And Bran goes, so did I once. I mean, there's something really agonizing about this. Bran has had to grow up really fast. He's had to learn how to be without his legs, how to totally call it audible on his entire life. He's gonna, he just found out that a magical uh, raven has been talking to him, <laughs> and he's got to figure out, like, what is my life now? Ugh, poor little raisin Bran. All right, yeah. number four. 
the edit, the way the show is, the episode is cut, when Bran wraps the Night's King tale and he says, you know, this is a thing that the gods cannot forgive. And it cuts right to Frey eating, right? And there are two things that are amazing about this. One, just, of course, the juxtaposition to the show is is hammering us over the head saying, this guy's doomed, right? right? The gods are not going to be able to forgive his transgression, his violation of guest rights either. And then, of course, now, finally, after we've seen season six, long-time cherished theory that people were waiting for on the show of how they were going to do Frey Pie, what was going to happen here, would it be Arya operating in the Manderly role? Confirmation, of course. And to see Frey in this moment eating. Yeah. Now that we know that his downfall is going to be Arya feeding him his sons in a pie, just like the rat cocktail that Bran was sharing before that cut, it's amazing stuff. It really is. Gendry talking about what happened with Melisandre to Davos. He goes, you're me. Never been with a woman. <laughs> Never talked to a woman, really. And then she comes at you, big words, no clothes. What would you have done? Hold on a second, Gendry. Gendry looks to be about 21, 22, really fit guy. He's been hammering steel his whole life. Good looking kid, lives in the city. He's probably got a little coin in his pocket as the apprentice of a, of a, of a smith. How has this guy never talked to a woman? I don't get this at all. I know we've talked about this before, but this is mystifying. And hearing him spell it out like this, it is, it's just insane. It just doesn't make sense. Like he's, he's supposed to be so instantly recognizable as Robert's bastard. Guys, the thing about Robert is not only gods was he strong, he was hot. Robert was hot and women wanted to fuck him and they did repeatedly. You would think that his bastards would inherit that trait. All right. Number six, when Cersei says to Tyrion, if it weren't for my children, I'd have thrown myself from the highest window in the Red Keep. They're the reason I'm alive. This is a double uh uh-oh for us now in hindsight, because first of all, what did Tommen do? (laughs) Woof. And also, uh, none of her kids are, spoiler alert, alive anymore. Uh, where does this leave her? You know, she's saying they're the reason yep. I'm alive. Well, has she lost the will to live? It doesn't seem like it. She's claimed the Iron Throne. George R. Martin, huge fan of fantasy, obviously, and Lord of the Rings was a huge influence on him. So I don't think it's an accident that when John arrives wounded at Castle Black, you hear, Pip, Sam. Sam. It's literally like the exact right. tone of Frodo saying, yeah. Sam. Yeah. Sam. All right. Well, Guys, you don't owe us your freedom, but we all owe a lot to our Khaleesi. And each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Three-time finale winner and four-time overall winner, Daenerys Before we explain why, just a quick quick little update for you now that we're midway through here, guys. Danny, this is her fourth champion purse. Tyrion is the only one who also has four wins. Arya, Marge, John all have two. Everyone else, single digits. I think Jason and I are actually both surprised that we haven't given this to Tywin more. Yeah, very surprised. Yeah. What are we doing? Well, he's 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 <laughs> in the long game. He's in he's in for the long game. He's not into it for winning episode by episode. He That's wants true. to win seasons. 
Great point. Yeah. It's all about the legacy. All right. Well, what did Danny do Danny. in her very limited screen time to earn her third consecutive finale win? Titles, titles, titles. Daenerys Targaryen, the Stormborn, the Unburnt, the Mother of Dragons, the Breaker of Chains, the rightful queen of the Seven Kingdoms, and now the Scourge of Astapor, the Conqueror of Yunkai. Danny's victory in Slaver's Bay over Astapor, over Yunkai, will send shockwaves through Essos, surely. And surely those shockwaves will reach the Seven Kingdoms. We know and the world knows that she has dragons. You know, they're baby dragons, but whatever. Um, but by conquering Yunkai, Danny's displayed a much more dangerous suite of talents. She can lead an army. She successfully managed an overland march and siege of a robustly defended wall city. Yunkai itself was taken due to what was essentially a special forces raid, you know, that she okayed. The fall of the city and Danny's presence in Slaver's Bay in general has paralyzed the global slave industry on which most of Essos relies. This would be, this is earth-shaking stuff for Essos. And more importantly, though, Danny is more than just a military leader, more than just the rightful ruler of Westeros, more than just the owner of three growing dragons. She is inspiring to yes. people. Look at the way those people treated her when they came swarming out of the gates of Yunkai. Um, carrying her around almost messianically chanting Misa, Misa. There is no other leader in this story that elicits that kind of passion from her subjects. People follow her because they believe in her. It's not just because of the titles. Titles, titles. Titles, titles, titles. And that's why she wins. All right, guys. The true war lies to the north, and we have made it halfway. Halfway through binge mode, but we must keep marching. Must keep marching north. The true war is all 60, not just 30. So (laughs) we hope that you had as much fun as we did and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing season four, episode one, Two Swords. Season three is my favorite. Mm. Is it yours? I kind of like, I think I like, Season four a little bit. Season four is probably my second favorite. Yeah. These are, eh, season six might be up there. I don't know. We'll do a power rankings Shouts at the end. Dorn. We'll do a power rankings at the end. But season three is great. We had a really fun time talking about yeah. it. We're very excited to talk about season four because a lot of dope shit happens. A lot of, a lot of shit. So until then, remember. Anyone named Desmond Craighor must be a pervert. <laughs> If the King's Road is 15 minutes, then that's how long I want it to be. Amazing. A big thanks to our sterling producer, Zach Mack, and everyone else at The Ringer who made Binge Mode possible. Yeah. 